0: Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project. I'm Jay Harrington, with me as always is Tom Nixon. Hi, Tom. Hello again, Jay, how are you? Doing well, thank you. What's new with you? Well,
1: um, it's starting to look and feel more and more like autumn, unfortunately. So that's okay. We live in Michigan. We know what's coming. Yep. The seasons are changing. Hey, I was wondering, speaking of seasons, because in our business, there's a certain seasonality to new business. Um, like this fourth quarter is typically when I think companies and department heads look at the budget they have left for the remaining year of the year and maybe some of the goals that they didn't achieve yet for the remainder of the year. And they get real frantic or uh, ambitious about getting that done before the end of the year. And then the new year is the second, probably highest season of, uh, of new projects and new marketing activity because there's fresh budgets and there's new year's resolution, so to speak, and there's fresh ideas about how we're going to tackle the new year. I'm curious what your experience is. Is there any seasonality to business development from an attorney standpoint, or is it just reactive to events on the ground?
0: Well, yeah, I'd say there is. And I mean, it's somewhat practice dependent or industry dependent. I mean, it's not the same as like a, a CPA who has these, you know, always these particularly busy periods of time that are really defined. But at the same time, you know, say you're a MA lawyer, a lot of a lot of companies want to wrap up transactions by year end or um, it, other other instances of just seasonality within practices. I mean, certain practices like litigation are sort of, you know, that don't have any, those seasonal aspects to them. So in terms of the work product themselves, the oppor- there is there is seasonality, and then that definitely drives business development. There may be more opportunities, there's more urgency to those opportunities. Um, in some instances where, you know, you might have large corporate legal departments who are looking to have, you know, a, a law firm handle, uh, you know, big, uh, big batches of work, say their internal like employment law, where they might have a single firm that is sort of on retainer or or providing services according to a, a particular budget. That process might be happening now, um, you know, the year end uh, of the calendar year for, for many companies is the time when they're evaluating those decisions. So I'd say that the fourth quarter is a, uh, you know, from say, say from post Labor Day through the end of the year, can be a really busy time. Um, it's also typically conference season. Uh, so, you know, that is a time where individual lawyers oftentimes are, are going out, they're doing public speaking, they're meeting new people. Obviously that's not happening uh, to the same extent or really to any extent this year. So that, that's a little bit different, but yeah, you, you see those things. Um, one thing that I've observed is we've been uh, you know, kind of going through this process with some of our clients in terms of planning and, and strategizing for the new year. Um, the the marketing plans that that we're working on with clients are are definitely different than they've been in past years. It's been interesting to see, you know, most firms I think have come to the conclusion that a lot of the resources they would have previously allocated to things like attending and sponsoring events or putting on their own events, that those line items are sort of being eliminated from those budgets and those resources are being shifted to things like thought leadership um, and other more digital digitally oriented marketing activities. So yeah, it's it's been an interesting year and I I found in in various fronts within the legal business development and marketing world. Yeah.
1: Some of those resources I think are being allocated to things like training and coaching as well. Right. So um, even say personal, personalized business development training, which is something as we've talked about in the past, some, sometimes it comes naturally to an attorney. Other times, you know, you have an attorney who's, quote unquote, sales averse. So they need to be either be trained out of mindsets or trained into behaviors and or trained on techniques even. So since it is sort of in our world, it is quote unquote, business development season. um, I wanted to pick your brain on something you shared with me that I thought would be really helpful for attorneys at all level in their careers, whether they're just starting out, or somebody who's been in business for 20 years, because you identified and articulated something that is very interesting to me. And that is the you call it the three phases of business
0: development. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's right. And I think that's, um, it basically relates to the idea that, you know, as you, as you go through your career, there's sort of a sequential process that you'll go through. Obviously this is not universal, but, um, I think it covers most attorneys where you'll kind of move through different phases of business development in terms of, you know, how you behave, what types of work you're generating, what, what level of revenue um, you're producing and, and all of these things. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's like anything, uh, any skill acquisition, you have to start, you know, at a certain level and over time improve. And, and with that come improved results. So I thought, yeah, we just talked about some of these phases and it might be helpful for people to think about, you know, where they're at in their career in terms of what phase they're in and and what it would take to get to the next level. Yeah, and what's interesting is the three phases,
1: I think, as you're outlining them, really have all sorts of distinct and different um, criteria to them, both in terms of like the skills that you need, um, who you might be actually face-to-face with when you're doing business development, so that, and then the type of activity you need to engage in. All of that stuff evolves as the attorney evolves and as the career evolves. And I think the demands on which an attorney um, Uh, might be you know they might be faced with greater demands as they get closer to partner and become partner to be more of a business development person as well as an attorney and there's this uh, you know sort of evolution phase where you kind of got a foot on the dock and a foot in the canoe and it's really uncomfortable because you have all the pressures of time and all the pressures of business development but but we'll get there do you want to start with phase one and just naturally go through what you know, of the, are the markers of each phase? And again, yeah. the listeners can think, okay, where am I? And if you're past this phase, think back to where you were and how some of this, uh, what Jay's going to articulate, may have helped you or maybe you already experienced this stuff. So phase one, what's phase one?
0: So phase one, um, I'll attach a couple of markers to it. Um, one is just a, a level of revenue. Um, and so I I call phase one where you have maybe developed your first $100,000 in new business you know say over the course of a year and you know this different attorneys reach this level at different times you know one of the interesting things is when back when i was starting to practice law i started at a very large law firm um it was and this was say in the early 2000s this was still an era where for the most part at least at my firm and i think others like it associates early in their careers were still being told you know, just put keep your head down, do good work, and everything will take care of itself. Like you could, you know, the expectation was you could make partner at the firm without ever having brought in a dollar in new business, just because there were lots of institutional clients, and there were, you know, there's enough business to go around. What they were looking for were really good lawyers, practitioners, um, and they figured that, you know, they at least maybe needed to demonstrate an aptitude for business development, but not actually have brought in uh, revenue. Partly because at a firm like that. You know, it's not really possible. Uh, You you have to have a very large client who's willing to spend a lot of money, and they feel like associates just aren't in a position to develop that business, generally speaking. Now, if you're at a small firm, um, you know, the expectations might be very different. And today, even at a large firm, it's likely very different. Um, You are expected to demonstrate, you know, actual realized business development, even as an associate. So, this $100,000 level. Um, Let's talk about how you how you get there as a, you know, as someone who's either relatively young in age and or experience. Um, And so largely when you're at that level, um, the marketplace is kind of the value you you can uh, you can present to the marketplace is that you're a lawyer. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're probably at that point really counting on your own hustle and tapping your immediate network, I'll call it your friends and family network. You know, you're, you're not at the level where you're being really perceived, you have a high profile, you know, you may not be perceived as someone who has a high level of expertise, but there's a certain number of people that you've developed relationships with over the course of your life who understand that you're now a lawyer. And for many of those people, they sort of see lawyers as interchangeable. They don't understand that, especially at a you know, larger firm, lawyers kind of fit within different silos of practices and they have different levels of expertise. So you might be getting a call from your uncle who owns a manufacturing business um, that has no relation to what you do, but because you're a lawyer, they might need help with a small transaction or some piece of litigation. And you, know, you get credit for that, um, just making the introduction. Perhaps if all you're doing is making an introduction to you know, someone else in the firm, but you're getting some origination credit, for having done that but it's largely you know again you're you can generate maybe a hundred thousand dollars new business or thereabouts just on hustle alone and really relying upon that network um what's great about
1: that network sorry to interrupt you I was just oh no, say that's what's, great what's great about that level of prospect is the people that you're considering in that pool are already hardwired to want to uh, help you succeed so there's something in it for them to give the business to you, which is different as you progress along your career. So that's a yeah. good place to start because it's, you know, it's a very very friendly, safe environment for you to practice some of these skills that we're going to talk about.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great point, Tom. Um, and, you know, the, then the, uh, the other, and so as a result of that, because um, it's, it's, you know, coming work that you're going to get opportunities you might come across um, are from this network, then you're, know some like i said probably some of the work's going to be outside of your area of of specialization or your practice area and uh, that work is also um probably going to be more local in nature now again you might have a cross-country relative who seeks you out uh, but if you're tapping you know your immediate network of like friends and contacts it's probably going to be those within your community so your your practice the business you're going to generate is going to be relatively local in nature um and then you know, one of the things too, to think about like, what are the, what are the skills or qualities that you need to have acquired or acqui- you will acquire during this phase or um, you know, what, what qualities do you need to exhibit? And I think just for one, you to get any level of business generally, you have to have, you have to have gotten past the point where, you know, you're very junior in your career and you're, you're really still getting up to speed and getting your feet underneath you. So you need to be able to demonstrate a basic level of competence. Um, and then also, Uh, you need to be able to exhibit a basic level of client service as well. So you need to have seen through the experience of working with other lawyers who bring in clients and manage those client relationships, sort of what it takes, keeping the client updated, um, understanding, you know, how to correspond with a client, and then also, you know, just basically understanding the the ethical rules that overlay the entire attorney-client relationship. So, so that's sort of phase one. Uh, Tom, I don't know if you have anything else to sort of add or um, or supplement on that.
1: Well, just to end cap
0: and maybe to transition
1: to phase two is that um, the beauty of phase one is that, as you suggested, for the most part, the the pressure's off. At this point, early in your career, you're not expected to bring in business. If you do, it's gravy. It's great. It's going to maybe get you further up the ladder quicker. But no one's like sitting over your shoulder saying, where's your book? Where's your book? So you can, a lot of times, just allow this business to organically come to you. And But in order for it to organically come to you, you can't just sit at your desk and practice law all day. I think you do need to be at least visible and accessible. So you need to get out, go to events. You need to perhaps dip your toe into getting some content out into the marketplace. Don't have to be not the expert yet, but you just need to be visible so that Uncle Phil, who lives in California, is consistently reminded that, oh, yes, Tom is a lawyer. He works at such and such firm. It's a big firm. They probably handle matters like the one I have. I should at least give him a call. But if you're sitting in your silo and keeping your head down, as they used to say, then no one's going to notice you or notice that you have potential expertise to share. So good time to you know allow the pressure to be off, but to maybe start practicing some of the skills that you will need in phase two and phase three. So as phase two comes along, Jay, what starts to change? What are the markers?
0: Yeah, sure. So phase two, um, and, and don't get... Too caught up on on these numbers because they will differ depending on what market mar, uh, market you're in. Um, so consider this like a, put a put a cost of li- living adjustment on this based on whether you know if you're someone who practices in a in a smaller town or not a um, you know a major legal market. But I, I use the number five hundred thousand um, dollars as as sort of the level you know you reach at phase two. And in your market that might mean you know two hundred fifty thousand dollars because this this would be something where you know you're a uh, you're maybe a new partner at a, you know, in a, in a relatively big metropolitan market. Um, so adjust down, you know, depending on where you're at. Um, but someone who's got a fairly robust book now, um, they've, they've kind of done the work to really, um, you know, start to get themselves out there and start to understand what it takes to develop business. Um, and so at this point, you know, you're not just being seen as a lawyer, but you're being seen as an expert. Um, people, are starting to understand what you do and what you do best. And more importantly, you're, you have a clear understanding of that as well. And that, that expertise is reflected in your positioning. So you're not just going out to the marketplace as a lawyer, you're now going out to the marketplace with a specific value proposition. You understand who your ideal client is, you have um, a real clear understanding um, of, you know, through narrowing your focus of, of the types of clients and the types of Buyer at each client um, that you uh, are looking to target, and you're starting to be seen by by those people within that more narrowly focused marketplace as an expert. Um, so you're you're not only you know going out and, and just chasing work and and finding random new business opportunities, but you're generating. You're starting to generate significant inbound opportunities and referrals. By that I mean you know people are seeking you out. They're finding you. They're They're starting to um, seek you out as as an expert and understand, again, what you do best. Um, And those opportunities that I mentioned are more in line with your positioning. So through your marketing you're doing, through the business development you're doing, you're making clear again um, what it is, what kind of work you're seeking and what kind of work you do best. And so as a result of that, the opportunities are more in line, more consistent with that positioning. Um, You're also starting to take advantage of leverage. um, And by that, I mean, you're starting to not only generate business to feed yourself, but to also feed others within your firm. You may not have a big team working underneath you yet, you know, $500,000 and your business is not a huge book or whatever equivalent amount that is in, in your market, but it is one where you're starting to have to get others involved in the, in the work that you're doing such that you, you, can, you have more opportunity and more ability to go out and spend time doing marketing and business development. Um, so I think those are some of the, the markers, Tom, to, to be thinking about in this phase two. You're probably, you know, a, a senior associate, you know, a junior partner, maybe have been partner for, you know, one to four years, and you have started to kind of get traction and you're starting to get to a, a higher level of revenue um, in, in terms of business development.
1: Yep. And I think this is where everything becomes higher stakes. And so when I referenced content in the phase one discussion, I didn't say thought leadership content. I just said content because I think phase one, you're not a thought leader yet. You're not even an expert yet, potentially. You're just kind of cutting your teeth, but you should be practicing the skills that you're going to employ in this higher stakes phase two, which is developing thought leadership content. So writing. Um, So in phase one, you might just practice doing a lot of, you know, marketing writing or thought leadership writing style, as opposed to argumentative or legal writing. You might give talks, you might, you know, low stakes talks somewhere locally, as you suggest is kind of the dynamic in phase one. Uh, You might start a podcast, you know, all of these things then in phase two become really critical because the family and friends that were hardwired to help you succeed is not the audience anymore. It's a broader market, or I should say more narrow market, but it's a bigger pool of people. And these people are evaluating you against competitors and they're evaluating your reputation against somebody else's and uncle Phil's not there anymore to care if you win or lose, he just wants to get the right, you know, the non uncle Phil wants to get the best attorney for the job. And so you, Do all that. You separate yourself before that opportunity comes along by being an expert thought leadership content producer and getting that content out into the market narrowly enough that it matches that narrow focus of your positioning in your market. All of that stuff gets really tight in phase two so that you're not just out there being a generalist and look like you're still practicing marketing not practicing law, but practicing content development. You're actually very purposeful about it. You're very narrow about it to the point where people say, I know exactly what Tom does now because all he talks about is this and he talks about it really intelligently. And if that ever comes up for me or somebody looking for a referral, I know exactly where to go. it's tom and it doesn't matter if he's my nephew or not so this is phase two is very high stakes this is where you got to really be on your game and don't wait for phase two to get here to start practicing the skills of you know argumentative or, or i'm sorry thought leadership writing and podcasting and giving talks because you should have those skills already so that here you can really weaponize them in phase two
0: yeah and and because thought leadership does become particularly important in phase two because If, as you're narrowing the focus of your practice, meaning, you know, say you're, you're targeting a specific industry vertical and you're, and you're not really focused on, on much else than that. Um, you know, again, depending on the size of market you're practicing in, you, you need to, you know, kind of broaden the scope of uh, the geographic scope of your practice. You start to need to nationalize your practice. And it's the thought leadership that you're, you have the ability to reach people in other markets um, through sharing your ideas in a way that you can't, um, if, if it's just relying upon, you know, one-on-one business development activities. Um, and you're also, uh, because you're focused on, you know, a more narrow market, you know, another path that someone in phase two would be exploiting would be developing relationships with those who are also um, focused on your market, not necessarily as clients, but as, as sort of referral sources. So the other consultants and, and CPAs and, and other professionals who are also in that ecosystem, who you, know, you, can, you can help in terms of referrals and they can help you as well. But you're, because you're attending the right conferences, because you're showing up in, in front of that industry, then you'll have an opportunity to, to broaden your network Within that narrow market, which is going to lead to many more opportunities for you. Is there a profile match, Jay, between
1: the prospect that you might be targeting and, say, where you are as an attorney? So in phase two, we said maybe senior associate, maybe junior partner. Um, So a certain amount of years of experience. Does that match up then with the person that that attorney is targeting? Because I'm guessing that, like, the C level of large corporations is still not comfortable talking to even a senior associate or, or a junior partner with their matter, they want to talk to the the rainmaking partner at the firm. So how does the profile match up? Who should you expect to be networking with or reaching out to at this level of your career?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd say in in most instances, I mean, in in one hand, you know, there there are always exceptions, Um, you know, some, some, Attorneys who are relatively early in their careers are just ex- exceptional, or they're highly connected, and they can they can go into larger companies or to a private equity firm or whatever the case might be, and 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 also it helps if you have a really strong law firm brand behind you because they understand the firm has a certain level of expertise that they can count on. But for most most lawyers out there, you're probably going to have the most success uh, targeting, you know, more of what I'll call the. The privately held company universe as opposed to the publicly held one, uh, companies that have you know say a middle market company that has a certain certain level of revenue where they can they can pay their lawyers um, but maybe don 't even have an in house legal department because I found you know anecdotally and also through observation of others um, when it comes to someone who is making the decisions at a privately held company who 's not you know a general counsel. Um, general counsel can really, you know, spot. Uh, they they can distinguish between someone who maybe doesn't quite have the level of experience they're looking for. They can ask the right questions. They can see through the BS. Um, someone who doesn't have that level of expertise, they have a hard time distinguishing between, you know, a a good lawyer and a great lawyer. Um, they they're really going to have, you know, they're going to use other criteria like personality match and and sort of rapport and and just generally, do I like this person? Do they seem competent? as characteristics where um, they're going to make the decision on. So focusing on that sort of demographic, I think, is, is probably key for someone who's in the relatively early phases of, of business development, um, where you can actually go out and, and, you know, compete effectively, as opposed to trying to work your way through the know the procurement process at a large company uh, being filtered through the general counsel's office that's a pretty tough gauntlet to run um and and you know they're typically looking for you know a larger firm a, a a partner with significant experience to run you know a large project the stakes are often high if they're if the stakes are not high they're looking for a firm that's capable of doing high volume at a relatively low cost and you don't necessarily want to get caught up in that or it's sort of the bet the company work that they're willing to pay, you know, the, any, virtually anything to get the result they're seeking, and they're not willing to take a crack at you know someone who doesn't have you know a really high profile and and significant experience. So I'd stay in that I'd stay in that privately held company um, space, and that could be, you know, your local. Uh, you know, physicians' practices, or or dental offices, or auto dealerships, or small manufacturing companies. It doesn't really matter, um, although it, it should matter. If, you know, and it, it should relate to your your uh, area of focus. But don't try to don't try to you know focus on general counsel or even in-house counsel as much. Focus on a more entrepreneurial audience, and you'll have an easier time gaining some traction. Great, good advice. So then I guess we should move
1: into phase three, the final phase, I guess. Um, what does phase three look like for business development?
0: Well, so this is where, you know, and this is the phase that many lawyers never reach and and we'll discuss the reasons why that's the case. And the, the problem that you run into on your way from phase two to phase three is the fact that, you know, you're one person and you only have so much capacity to, to manage clients and bill hours. So you know, depending on what your hourly rate is, you know, do the math. Um, you know, it's it's pretty hard to get too far past, say, half a million dollars in your business. You know, if you're if you're just trying to do everything yourself. So phase three, and that's you know, again, uh, adjusted for you know the the categories categorization we've we've defined previously is like one million dollar plus. Um, and and obviously there's a big difference. I know you know lawyers who have twenty five million dollar book of business and but it's not, they're not doing all that much. That's different than someone who's got a million and a half dollars in new business. They're just doing it more effectively on a broader scale. Um, so, but to get to a million plus, uh, you know, again, we, we talked in phase one as you're perceived as a lawyer and in phase two, you're perceived as an expert in phase three, you truly are perceived as like the key trusted advisor to your clients. So you're, they're looking to you, not just, you know, for their legal, uh, The the legal problems are facing but really you're integrated within their business and you're you're providing advice and counsel on a a range of issues. Um, And, and most importantly, um, this is the level and this is where the whole issue of bumping up against your capacity to bill hours comes in you. If you, when you get to this level, you've cracked the code on how to build systems and processes within your practice that allow you to go beyond, again, your own individual ability to, to just bill hours. And and what that means, um, and let's equate it, let's analogize it to like the startup world, where people probably have heard, you know, you, you know that a startup kind of goes from this phase of of kind of a minimum viable product where they're bringing something to the marketplace and then they're ultimately having to scale beyond that. And so a lawyer who goes uh, beyond a million dollars really needs to scale the practice. And and that involves building a team around you and building systems and processes around you so that you can you can really spend the great deal of your time dealing with managing client relationships and developing new ones. That, that really becomes the primary job of lawyers who, who reach this level. Now, of course, you know, many of the lawyers who do a million dollars plus, they might be trial lawyers, they're still, they're still in the courtroom, they might be, you know, transactional lawyers who are doing, running M&A deals, they're still in the, in the boardroom negotiating. But to a large extent, they've got a team of, we'll call them lieutenants around them um, on the, on the um, practice side who are really taking the lead on the day-to-day management of that litigation and, and those transactions. Um, as well, they're, they're building an administrative team around you that supports them in, in things like, how do you onboard a new client? How do you make sure that the client experience is effective? Are you How are you making sure that your clients stay engaged? How do you make sure that you are having, you know again, we get back to the issue of thought leadership, thought leadership content created that's um, continuing to build your expertise. Um, so you're, you're becoming more of a scalable enterprise as opposed to just an individual lawyer at, at this phase three. And, and in some cases, um, people get to that million dollar plus level by simply doubling down on their narrow focus. Let's say in phase two, they're, they're focused on one industry vertical. And if it's a big enough vertical, they just simply double down on that and grow their practice within that vertical. In other instances, when someone becomes seen uh, uh, as, as quote, the expert, you know, in phase two, where they've really come to be well known within an industry vertical, there might be a related adjacent industry vertical that they can move to, to get to phase three as well. So, um, you know, you you, you serve one market, uh, Scott Becker will point it back to him as an example of this, representing surgical centers in metropolitan Chicago, Ultimately, moves on from that um, to also representing hospitals within Chicago and ultimately health systems nationally. So he he made these sort of adjacent but related moves into new industry verticals that allowed him to grow his practice significantly beyond you know into the phase three level. So these are some of the things that um, that you know I guess you you experience within phase three and need to accomplish, um, but it's really all about you know, building that scale within your practice that allows you to get beyond the busyness of the day-to-day work and really think about, you know, working, as as they say in the business world, uh, working on your practice as opposed to in your practice all the time. Yeah, great points. And I think phase three, if you are able to get to phase
1: three, this is where I would like to say that the headwinds that you faced in phase two become tailwinds. If you took the time and took the discipline, to establish a narrow position that you bolstered with uh, narrowly positioned thought leadership content, and then just naturally through the practice of law, you start getting a reputation for the outcomes and the results that you're generating as, as an attorney, that coupled with all of the content that you're creating and putting out into the marketplace, that starts to work even when you're not in the room as Jay, as uh, Adrian likes to say from JD Supra said your content can can win an argument for you without you even being in the room. And once you get enough of it generated, then that's way more easily scalable because you don't have to go to as many events and you don't have to take as many meetings because these opportunities start becoming inbound because of that reputation you have as as an attorney, the reputation you have as a thought leader and the reputation, as you say, that you've now earned as a trusted advisor. So all of it becomes easy. It's really difficult to get to phase three, but this should, if you're doing it well, all become a lot easier and you'll feel this sort of, conversion of the headwinds now becoming tailwinds and you'll thank yourself for doing all of the hard work in phase two which again starts with the practice in phase one so it's it, you don't start becoming a, or trying to become a thought leader once you feel like you want to get to phase three all of that work has to be done and it needs to build upon itself you know naturally through the evolution as a your career as an attorney and as you um, as you're building your business development acumen
0: yeah, it's really, you know, we talk a lot about the compounding returns on expertise and the compounding returns on thought leadership expertise sort of exemplified. Um, and that that's where it really starts to pay dividends. It's just like, you know, why you invest in your 401k for 25 years, because you're really looking at that, those compounding results in year 25 to 35, that's going to take your portfolio to a new level. And the same goes for building your practice. Um, and the, the one other area that I, I failed to mention Tom, but I just I will uh, do so briefly here. Is in, in phase three, I think most lawyers, um, because you are being seen as more of a holistic trusted advisor to your clients. Um, those who those who go beyond million dollars plus uh, will will oftentimes be doing much more cross-selling of practices within the firm. So they're not just selling their own discrete practice. But they're selling the expertise of other lawyers in their firm and by doing that, they're generating additional origination credit and bringing other lawyers into the mix. So you're, you're, you're gaining and garnering more a, a greater share of the work that a client has to offer. Um, so that's, that's one other benefit and an opportunity that you can take advantage of as you move into phase three and you really have that high level of reputation. Yeah. it's another example of everything just
1: needs to scale and work without you doing all of the actual labor because you've already run into that, like you said, that capacity issue. You're bumping into it already as an attorney who's looking to bill hours. At this point, all of the stuff you need to figure out systems for all of this stuff to scale without you doing everything. And that's another perfect example. So, yeah.
0: so I think that's, you know, one, so when we think about that, I mean, that's what, that's why we, we advise our clients to, you know, really have a vision for the future, uh, because without that, you can't sort of identify what skills you need to acquire, what actions you need to take along the way in order to kind of reach these different levels. It's, it's too late, obviously, when you get there. You'll never get to the next phase if you, you know, and then can start working on these things. You need to start thinking about how do I, how do I start thinking about scale? How do I start thinking about positioning my practice? How do I start thinking about becoming a thought leader? All that needs to happen immediately but it you know, oftentimes the impact of that doesn't happen down the road. But you need to have that vision so you can understand why you're making these investments over time and and understand what the payoff is ultimately.
1: That's right. Like to you just close out using your analogy that of you know, the four oh one K that you said, that first hundred bucks that you put in feels like it's worth way more in your pocket than it is sitting in some account that you'll never see. But once you get to be an old man like you, Jay, Um, you can look back and say, well, that made sense now, right? And I'm so glad I started when I did, because if I were to start now, right, I would be, it would be too late, as you're suggesting. So even a very junior level associate, even somebody who's just graduating law school today should consider themselves already in phase one, and they should start working on this stuff now, so that everything becomes easier. And everything speeds up, too. The sooner you start, everything speeds up, just like your 401k
0: yeah and and practically just to continue that theme and practically speaking what that means is you know you might instead of optimizing for as many billable hours as possible which which will result in a you know a, a somewhat of a higher bonus for you in this year say this is your third year as a lawyer maybe you need to be thinking about well you know i might need to instead of billing that 100 extra hours this year i really need to think about spending that 100 hours you know doing some of this work so that the rewards down the road from having done that work will be so much greater than the, say, you know, five to ten thousand dollars extra on your bonus this year. It'll be, you know, dramatically higher. And but that's that's a tough, it's a tough calculus for people to make in the moment because we do all sort of have a bias towards short-term re- rewards over long-term ones. But um, you know, if you can if you can grasp that notion, then you'll definitely have uh, a much bigger reward down the road. Great. Yeah. Right. Well, did we cover it all? I think so. I mean, at least we got, uh, we got, we got on the, into the surface level of, of almost all of it. But hopefully that gives people at least a, a picture of kind of what, you know, what their career path might look like. And, and kind of those three phases and maybe just help people categorize and think about what they need to do or think about for, for each phase as they go.
1: Yeah, I think it's my takeaways would be uh, the three things that change are the skills you need the person that you're going to be in front of likely. And then, um, the marketing slash business development, um, roadmap, all three of those things change depending on what phase you're in. So first self identify what phase you're in and then, um, you know, re-engineer it, reverse engineer it to, to figure out. And I think you get provided a great formula. Hopefully you'll write this up in the form of a blog post someday too. We could share that and hopefully listeners will, uh, uh, take a lot away as I did from you sharing this outline with me so
0: awesome all right Tom well thank you and uh, thank you to our listeners and we'll be back next week with another episode thank you for listening to the thought leadership project for show notes additional resources and links to the tools discussed on today's episode visit the thoughtleadershipproject.com